iTunes presents Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Apple Store Soho. How are we feeling on this fine summer evening? Yes, there we go. I need a little more excitement than that. This is actually a really fun time for us. I said, how are we doing on this fine summer evening? There we go. This is actually super exciting. This is our first official event that uh, Apple and IndieWire have cooked up here for kicking off the Tribeca Film Festival. So really, really exciting and cool time for us. So that being said, let's get this started. I'd like to pass the mic over to our moderator this evening, Eugene Hernandez, Editor-in-Chief of IndieWire. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you what's new in filmmaking. Thank you, thank you. Before we start, I just want to take a quick moment to thank everyone here at Apple, including Suzanne and everyone who's done such an amazing job. This series that starts with this panel right now continues all the way through the Tribeca Film Festival through next weekend. So make sure you log on to the site, check out um, the schedule every single day. You can also check out IndieWire.com. We'll be covering the events and we'll also be uh, reminding you daily of the various events. So there's this one at 5, and then we have another one at 6.30 with the film Beware the Gonzo. That'll be at 6.30 today, and all this weekend, all through the festival. So please come back. The events are free. Get here early. Get a good seat. Um, we have a really exciting panel to kick off our series this year. We're really excited to be doing this, um, and we're really grateful to the folks at Apple to be able to bring this panel as our first. It's a discussion with um, a group that I consider to be among the leading independent film producers working today. Uh, I'm going to have them join us on stage, and then I'll introduce them once they get up here. So um, as they approach, I'll note, I'll note who's joining us. So uh, first up, Jay Van Hoy. Here comes uh, Mary Jane Skalski. Jason Cleo. Lisa Cortez. Minette Louie and Karen Chien. I have to remind myself not to lean back. I will be reminded very quickly. <laughs> Precarious? All right, I'll sit here for a minute. Maybe I'll stand in a bit. Um, first of all, thank you to all of our panelists and our participants today for being here for this kickoff Meet the Filmmaker event here at the Apple Store Soho. Uh, a reminder to the panelists and to the folks in the audience, this event is being podcast on iTunes, so it will be available to not only the folks here in the, in the audience, but um, those who may want to log in uh, at a future date to check out this conversation. So, welcome. Um, again, uh, we're going to get to your questions soon. I have a few questions. I was, uh, I'm going to start with just getting a sense of who's in the audience. Um, how many people here are filmmakers of some sort, makers of films, short, feature? Okay. Um, and how many folks are in the industry or the business of film, filmmaking, film releasing, festivals, that sort of thing? How many folks are here just as movie fans? You just like movies and you're just here to sort of learn about behind the scenes process of, okay. So that gives us a good idea of what we have. I'm gonna start off with a real, um, a really specific industry question as a way of getting the discussion going, but we're gonna, we're gonna try and get to a, very, a variety of topics in the hour that we have. I was at um, a panel discussion today at the Tribeca Film Festival. And one of the panelists, uh, filmmaker and lawyer, Mark Simon said that over the past 15 years, the most important person, or among the most important people, I think he said the most important person um, 
for the business side of film was the sales rep. Past 15 years, the sales rep. His opinion is that that is no longer the case. From now and into the future, the most important person will be the social media strategist. That that will be the person that will uh, facilitate a film getting out into the world. In the old days, the sales rep. Now, the social media person. That will be the brain that will be required to get a film out into an audience. Um, who would agree or disagree with that idea? Well, I, I think the Lisa social... Lisa Cortez, uh, one of the producers of Precious. Hi. Hi. I think the social media strategist is a very important component, but it still doesn't negate. Like, do you have a film that's wonderful and refreshing and interestingly shot? And are you starting your campaign in enough time? And can you connect it to real audiences? Because you still can't use someone to spin nothing out of nothing. So I think they have to complement what we spend years putting together with our directors um, for it to be successful. Let me ask someone to respond to that, and I was going to go to Minette, and I saw she was about to speak. Minette Louie um, is a producer and currently has a film that she's been releasing for about a year now called Children of Invention, played at Sundance last year. Uh, she's profiled today on IndieWire.com. You can see her on the homepage of IndieWire. Uh, what do you think of this? I think that's an overstatement. You know, I think that social media strategy is really, really important. But, you know, turning those eyeballs into actual asses and seats in theaters and, like, you know, purchasers of DVDs is, I think, very, very difficult. So, you know, if the social media strategist is also a person who can figure out how to monetize eyeballs, then I would say yes. But just social media in and of itself, you know, is not enough. And I feel like a lot of, you know, Old school, I don't want to say old school, but sort of, you know, traditional, traditional film industry people think that social media is the answer. It's not. I mean, I'm on Facebook and Twitter, like, you know, every other second. I'm tweeting all the time and trying to get this film out there. And, you know, and we've, we've recouped a decent amount of our budget, but, you know, that's because our film was a micro-budget film. If we had a film that cost, you know, a million dollars or more, it would be really hard to take on the strategy that I have in, in releasing this film. Uh, let me ask Jay Van Oy, seated next to me. I was cutting you off just to tell, you, tell everybody who you are. Uh, Jay's a producer here in New York, and we're going to give him a round of applause because a film he produced called Shit Ear, can I say that? Shit Ear, uh, is debuting next month at the Cannes Film Festival. So let's give him a hand for that. Thank you. Well, I don't have a Facebook account, so... Um, I... <laughs> It, thank you. Thank me neither, you. And me neither. all of you probably won't at some point. Too. Who here does um, not have a Facebook account? Does not have a Facebook <laughs> account. It's refreshing to wake up without a Facebook account sometimes. Um, when you hear stories from other people, but I, I do. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like it's. I agree that it's that's an overstatement. Um, I, I don't know. I haven't seen it yet. Really benefit a film. I think that. One of the key questions that comes back to what you were saying is that you, you kind of, how do you transfer this sense of an event or a cultural event within social media? And I think that it's, it, it, I really haven't seen it yet. And um, I, be, I think that's really how, so maybe at some point social media gets there and it's able to um, really attract people to films. And um, at this point, what I see on social media is people pointing the camera at themselves and talking, it just doesn't seem that, that, that interesting. I don't think it really magnetizes 
people to the film, and there there has to be a different way of utilizing it. Maybe the limit, maybe there's more of a limit to the use of it, and using that better, possibly. But um, it's certainly a, just a part of marketing and outreach that you would do normally, and it could be as much about um, where your poster is, how you're, re how you're, if you're doing grassroots, it, it has to do with your film as well. So. I saw Jason Cleo starting to raise his microphone. Uh, Jason Cleo, um, in addition to running Open City Films with Joanna Vicente, who runs the IFP, um, he had a company called Blow Up Pictures. Um, he's produced, been producing independent films for, for a number of years, a couple of decades, I'd say. Um, Man. Close? Way too much. No. Okay. Yeah. Six years. I'm 32. But in that six years, he's made 20 years of films. Um, Jason Cleo, leading New York independent producer, what do you think? Um, I think, you know, I, I think that it's apples and oranges. I feel that we're all talking about social media, but social media, in fact, is a fantastic tool for Hollywood and highly commercial vehicles. I don't think social media gets anyone to go to the quad theater or to make any of the movies that we actually see. I mean, I don't mean, I don't mean, okay, I, mean, I tend to be extreme in these situations, so. You know, I, I think I, I just don't think so uh, that 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 the people we're trying to reach are really effectively being reached by social media. What happened with music in the '70s with fanzines and this kind of feeling that you were attached to a certain art form and that you cared about it and that you really wanted to trade with it? I don't think that's happened in film. I think everything that's you know right now peer to peer in the film world tends to be more commercialized. And I feel that, unfortunately, when it is more about auteurism and auteur filmmaking, it doesn't tend to, to really help us. And I think that's a problem. I don't know the solution to that. But I think that there's a disconnect there in some way uh, between actually getting people to sit in theaters um, for a truly artistic independent film and social media. There are great exceptions. I don't know if social media helped your film that much, but Precious, I'm not sure. I mean, I think... Well, I think social media helped, but we also had resources. So if people are super excited, but I can't afford to open somewhere, then it doesn't matter. You know, you have to have pockets to complement, you know, moving forward expansion into other markets. And so, yes, social media helped and Tyler Perry and Oprah Winfrey, but we also had Lionsgate and we had a serious commitment for the rollout of the film. So I think like resources for us as independent producers is always kind of the brick wall that we hit in terms of how far we can run with what we create. But, but Tyler and Oprah, you know, what's interesting about that is that Precious is an independent art film. I would, I, would, I would say that, absolutely. But Tyler and Oprah have nothing to do with independent art film. But when Tyler Perry sends an email blast to two million exactly. people, it instantly changes the game Exa for exposure. Exactly, but that's the disconnect. You know, because we're all people who work with auteur directors, or tr that's sort of the tradition that informed us. And that what I, that's what I think is, you know, we're, we're trying to deal with. Well, to me, it's about spinach salad with bacon bits, you know? You get your nutrition and you get something sprinkly with some ranch dressing on top. <laughs> it connects the dot. Let me ask, um, you're calling Oprah a bacon bit? No, spinach salad, because she's nutritious. Salad. Okay, okay. You guys are making me hungry. Uh, let, me ask, let me ask Mary Jane Skalski to join us. Not only has she, um, she started out at Good Machine, or was at Good Machine very early days, um, 
in addition to producing films like Mysterious Skin, you've also worked in sales a little bit. You worked with Fortissimo. So you have a few different vantage points on, on this conversation, I would imagine. Um, what, do you, what do you make of sort of where producing is going and, and of some of the things we're talking about so far? Well, it, it's interesting on the social media side. Like what I'm, I'm sort of seeing a lot as a producer is someone will talk to me now about their project, and instead of talking about the movie they want to make, which is what's exciting to me, they very quickly start to talk about the internet campaign that can come with it. And I find that happens again and again. Even projects that I want to do, I've had to say to the director, like, you're directing the movie. You need to talk to people about the movie you want to make. Like, all that other stuff is, you know, it's, it's the B side. You know, we have to do the A side first, and the A side is the movie. And like, that that kind of frustrates me for one, but also I remember like in those early days of Good Machine, we would laugh about like, you know, you'd get your first kind of meeting with some sort of studio exec and it'd be that infamous, you know, oh, what's the poster? What goes on the poster? And like we thought that was ridiculous thinking and now it's sort of like everyone's thinking that way. You know, what's my internet campaign going to be and all that stuff. And I agree with Jason that... I find I follow stuff on Facebook once I've already seen it in, like, the movie, but that a lot of what I'm getting is just about awareness, you know? It's just about, like, this that exists. And I had a movie called Dare that came out last year that we tried because it appealed to high school students. We tried really hard to use social media. And it was interesting, like, how... We tried very hard to make it so that it wasn't just exhausting to people who were on our list, that it was sort of different. I don't know that we were successful, but we talked about it a lot internally, like, so that we weren't just constantly tweeting about, like, now the film's in Philadelphia, and now the film's in Oregon, you know, because I said we have this list of people, most of them can't enjoy what we're talking about, you know, so it has to be something different. But I find that, to me, a lot of it's sort of exhausting, and I don't know that it helps, I don't know that it, does too much more other than preaching to the converted. Um, thank you. Karen Chen just won the uh, Independent Spirit Award for producing uh, this year. Congratulations to Karen for winning that prize. And I thought it might be interesting to hear your perspective on this. Um, in addition to being a producer, you're also a distributor. Um, I thought it might be interesting to hear about the impact of a bit of what we're talking about from, the, from that vantage point, from that perspective. Uh, so maybe you could give us the one sentence explanation of how you're distributing work, and maybe that adds a little bit of a twist to this conversation, or maybe it doesn't, I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I am an independent film producer, but I also distribute underground, meaning uncensored, independent films from China to the U.S. But when I started as a producer, the first film I produced, Robot Stories, we self-distributed back in 2003, back when it wasn't cool to self-distribute, back when there was Friendster and no uh, Facebook. And I think that, you know, I feel like, Eugene, it's a hard question to ask a panel of producers who's the most important person on the business side of a film. Uh, because, I mean, at least in the New York producing uh, style, you know, we're used to doing everything. You know, I'm used to distributing a film. I mean, that's how I learned how to produce. It just always came with a job description. So now that there's this thing called social media strategist, you know, that, I feel like that's just another hat that producers wear. That's just another thing that we do to get the films out there, to get the films made, to get the films seen, whatever we have to do to get the films done. I mean, that's just that's part of our job description. Um, so is it important? Yes. Uh, but, you know, it, it just is another tool in everything else that we have in our, in our toolkit to get the films done. One of the things, we, we, you and I were talking about this earlier this week. Um, we were sitting with filmmakers at a, a Tribeca event, and there's... There's certainly a tension, and folks may have seen this 
on various blogs or on Twitter recently, if you're following some of the, the dialogues about the dialogues that have been happening over the past year, there's a, there's a pronounced tension that exists between the sort of art and commerce. And there are some filmmakers who, in my, in my words, would almost seem to resent the idea that they have to become now also wear this kind of distribution hat, that they have to become distributors is something that a lot of filmmakers are starting to kind of resist or resent. Um, on the other hand, there's at the same time filmmakers and producers who are, who are willingly, although maybe uh, with some hesitation, but willingly taking on this distribution approach um, because they think it will actually be better in the long run for their project, um, rather than taking an offer that might not really um, give them the kind of uh, return that they, that they think is, is, is worthy of their work, um, folks are deciding to do it on their own. So how do you sort of, how do you view that situation? I mean, how do you, how do you see this discussion, this sort of tension that exists between filmmakers who just want to be left alone to make their movie and then just move on to the next project and those that are struggling with whether they should, you know, folks in the audience who might have a film here at the festival, should they be signing on for the next year to distribute their film and put everything else on, on hold? I mean, what do you guys think about this? I mean, I think that anyone who thinks that they would get done with their film and, and give it over to a distributor and be done with it is delusional to begin with. Like, you are, you, you know, your, your work, you're about half done when your film is ready and premiered to the world at a festival or at some sort of sales venue. But... So I think, like Karen said, it's just an extension now of what we used to do and now what we're able to do because now you're not so easily stopped if the handful of big distributors with tremendous resources don't want to distribute your film. There isn't, you know, you the 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 you can you can do it yourself easier than you could, you know, ten years ago in some degree. So that it's just which just broadens what we're able to do. And yeah, it gets very frustrating this idea that oh God, now I have to keep doing this and really spend so much of my day on this and not go on to the next project. But you know, as we when we sign on for projects, it's what we sign on to do is to get them done and get them out there. Sometimes it's just a longer path than you want. Yeah, except I think it's a lot harder. Now. I mean, like the fact that I signed on to distribute this film for the next year, like my, I, you know, both the directors, Lee Chen and I, have really been neglecting our new project, and I've been neglecting all my other new projects. So it is, it is a decision that you have to you not take lightly. You know, we did have options to take other distribution offers, and we could have just sort of washed our hands of it and, and said, okay, let's just move on. But um, it, it, it was just very difficult. It's very difficult to do that when the financials um, aren't just aren't fair, you know. It, it's so we just decided to suck it up, put the other film, the new film, on hold, and then you know finish finish out this one. Okay, I'll go. I was just saying. I was just going to say um, that I think there's real opportunity in distribution right now, and I think that that's why people are attracted to it. Um, it's a lot of work. I haven't personally done it. Um, I don't know if I have the ability to do it as a producer, also trying to get movies made. But you can see when you, if you have a good film, if you have a film that audiences are responding to, you want to get it to those audiences. And the limited number of distributors that are there now and, the, and their resources that they're able to dedicate to your film may not be enough to, to fulfill what you think should happen for your film. So of course, there's a, there's a compulsion, I think, to get your film out yourself. And <clears throat> a low cost way of doing that might be some form of internet outreach, but unfortunately, it doesn't seem to be panning out. I mean, I haven't really seen 
Well, aside from certain documentaries, really narrative films really take advantage of it. And maybe somebody here could correct me if I'm wrong uh, to like to the success of the film. They may, it, or at least to the profitability of the film. Um, then, uh, but in any case, there. I would love. There, what I think will happen is that these efforts are going to lead to successes, and those successes are going to lead to new distribution companies. They'll have leaner overheads. They won't be existing within a DVD bubble, unless somehow VOD takes off the way DVD did in the 90s. I don't know, but it. But um, very likely, we'll see some other distribution companies come up over the next couple of years. We we have to do yoga. And by that, I mean um, it, you've got to have a, a strong core, you know, your team, your story, your vision, your commitment. And then you need to be incredibly flexible because everything is not going to be in the multiplex or the art house cinema. It, and um, it's very hard because people want the biggest platform to expose their work on. Um, I think my commitment is first, let me get it done and then run with it. And going to Sundance, you know, we, we didn't know that things would turn the way they did. And uh, it was an incredible gift. But yoga is, is really what I think for filmmakers as you're looking at projects of like, okay, this is television, this is internet, this can be international. Um, and you've got to really kind of harness all that in terms of how you prep a project and move forward and how much you spend to make it. I think we're going to get to a point <clears throat> soon where what Jay is saying is going to happen. Independent filmmakers, I think within a couple of years, I think all distribution companies are going to be only doing commercial films, pretty much. And I think that uh, independent filmmakers are going to be selling mainly, unless there's marketing potential like there certainly was in Pre with Precious, they're going to be selling their films on VOD. And they're going to be selling them directly to people. And I think that there's going to be peer-to-peer -peer ways in which finally people are going to start to, you know, it, it's like we have Netflix. Do I want to, is, is, you know, or, or is Critic Wire how I want to figure out what I want to watch? Or is it peer-to-peer? -peer, or is it... Uh, festival goers, I think that all of that together is going to come together into one one place. And then I think it will be the filmmaker's job uh, uh, to actually go out there. I think right now, unfortunately, the people I see spending the most effort trying to get their films out there are the people who've made films that the critics aren't supporting necessarily. And that's that's too bad. And I don't mean that across the board by any means. And I don't mean they're bad films. I just mean that they're not being supported by traditional media. There is also one thing, which is even when we go to VOD, and if we do have theatrical distribution, we, everyone has to remember that you, you know, online anything has to be supported by traditional media right now. Like, you don't get people to a movie theater without still doing newspaper advertising and magazine and radio and all those things. You know, people, you don't learn something about something online unless you have offline ways to tell people about that. And I think that that, but, but when that convergence happens and filmmakers have bypassed distribution systems and they're actually able to sell directly to, to, to people, all of a sudden that curation is going to be very important and the voice of the director as an artist, artist director, not as someone trying to do some sort of stunt to get people to see his movie, is going to become much more important. 
I wanted to speak to uh, the first part of your question, which was, you know, um, whether or not filmmakers should consider market forces and, and biz side of things when conceiving and making their films. You know, um, Mike Tully, who is this uh, great critic, uh, he writes for Hammer to Nail, he recently wrote for IndieWire blogs uh, something called the Take Back Manifesto. You guys should look it up. It's really, really good. But basically, it was a response to all panels like this, you know, um, and all this recent din ab about distribution. And, you know, his argument was that, you know, we should really keep approaching, continue to approach art, continue to approach filmmaking from, from a more pure um, uh, place and singular place. And I totally agree with that because, you know, it's, it's like when you start, like, having all these market forces influence your, your film, it's going to turn out to be crap. You know, and a, a, an obvious example of this is what in Europe they call Euro pudding. You know, their financing structure there is such that, like, you can get some German money, you can get some French money, you can get some Spanish money. So there's, like, they put a... French guy who's like brothers with a Spanish guy and they go to Amsterdam or something and it just becomes a mess. So, you know, if you consider too much of the business aspect, it, you just, the, the film itself gets lost. I mean, I just also just want to say that I feel like, I mean, I feel like this is not a new discussion. It's an age-old tension between art and commerce and really it's an answer to the age-old question, how do I succeed as an independent filmmaker? Show me the roadmap. Do I go to Sundance and you know, hit the big sale and get my film out that way? Or now do I do this, the social media strategy and, you know, the self-distribution and get my film out that way? I mean, the hard part of it is just that there's no right answer, right? In independent film, there's no right answer except for the one that works, right? So there's no roadmap. And I feel like there's a, a constant searching for that amongst a lot of the uh, younger, you know, filmmakers I meet. I mean, also, you know, the ones that have been at it for a while in this changing landscape. And it's just kind of, you know, it's, it's the same as how you make your films. You know, you be true to yourself. You know, if it doesn't make sense for you to self-distribute, to do the social media, then don't do it. You're going to hate it. You're going to hate the year that you have to spend doing it. And it's, you know, it's going to burn you. And I've seen so many filmmakers burn out from the business because they try to do this thing that they think they should be doing to get their film out there. You know, so at the end of the day, I feel like, you know, that choice is yours. And there's enough room in the in independent film field for both kinds of filmmakers, you know, for the ones who don't want to do that and the ones who are really excited about that. You know, there's a lot of creativity in self-distribution and, and social media as well, you know. Um, let me ask a general question that you can choose to take any different way. Um, what is, what do you find exciting about film today and what do you find discouraging to anyone who wants to start that? What's exciting, what's discouraging? Well, I think it's discouraging how I mean, I'm excited by all the same things I've always been excited about. You know, I'm excited to tell stories that I, I find engaging and for some reason when I read it on the page or meet with a filmmaker, I think I've got to be part of that. I have to make it happen. And I'm excited when I go to the theater and I'm sort of transported to a different place and time stops for me and I'm totally in the world of that. And th th that always remains the same. I'm discouraged that it, it's so um, that it's so hard to wrestle with this, you know, you know, uh, not pay attention to market forces, stay true to yourself, and then make these films for these teeny tiny amounts versus how do you sustain yourself and, you know, and, you know, I'm making a film right now that has a nicer budget and it's just so much more pleasant. And, you know, when I was looking at a budget for a friend this morning that's teeny tiny and literally it was like I was sticking pins in my eyes there were whole pages of the budget that I'm like I can't even like 
like I see it and I imagine what that means and I'm like I can't even like look at this area right now because it just it just reads like a it's like a painful bloodbath <laughs> to look at and that's really difficult because I love that project and it's like the idea of making it seem it seems so painful you know and that's discouraging to me that something that I wish I could just jump in and with all my enthusiasm I look and it's literally like you know like I said it's like putting pins in my eyes all right, I should, I, this will come back to haunt me. I, I think like this panel is an anomaly in terms of the composition. I am still greatly discouraged by the lack of diversity and opportunities for entrance uh, into the business. And um, it's wonderful that there's a precious, but you know what? If I have similar theme projects, people are still telling me, I'd love to see it when you make it. Um, and the options of who can make it are still very limited. I have to echo that and agree with that. I mean, I think Eugene did a, he had a Facebook post once about the Vanity Fair cover being like super lily white. All you know, the star, all the starlets are super lily white. And you know, they're you know, I, the children I mentioned is a film. It's an American film, but it's an Asian American film. There are Asian American stars in it. And I think the reason why we you know kept getting all these crappy offers and people people didn't think that an Asian American film, they didn't know how to market one, they didn't know how to sell one, so, um, I, you know, I, I, we've been able to do it on our own pretty well, so, you know, there is a market out there, it just takes work to find it, and um, so I am discouraged about the lack of diversity. I'm also discouraged that people um, are getting much more used to not paying for content, you know, that everybody wants free content everywhere, so it's kind of like, how are we, we going to sustain ourselves, like Mary Jean uh, said, and also, um, well, okay, I shouldn't I should, I should be so discouraging. On an encouraging note, um, I, I am happy about the technological advances in, in not just um, uh, like film equipment, production equipment, but in cameras and stuff, but also just the disintermediation that's possible with the internet. You know, you don't need a distributor to get your film out there. You, you know, you, you could figure it out on your own. So, so some of the gatekeeping is sort of softer now. Um, so that's encouraging. What's exciting and discouraging? Is that, yeah, what's exciting to me is that um, there's a lot of really great filmmakers in out there. Um, there's a lot of really cool stories that are still getting made. There's new develop. There's new storytelling that's happening in film, which I'm, which is I find really exciting. It may not be the most commercial cinema, and um, what's necessary for that is a curatorial force that can really move it forward. And I think critics are a very important part of that. And it's discouraging that. Critics, I mean, even a diversity and diversity in filmmaking and critics we've seen in, you know, the slow death of print media, or maybe not that slow, but um, which seemed to occur a fast killing off uh, in the past uh, couple of years um, has left us without a uh, home for many of the critics that we would normally turn to on a routine basis to find out like what was good, even just as simple as like what's, gonna, what's good this Friday, what can I go see it at, in a, uh, at the theater. Um, but on the other hand, it seems to be that that is slowed, and maybe with the iPad plug, uh, it's sort of sort of a, it's not an intentional plug, but I think we, the iPad. We need to try it out to see <laughs> if we if they'll give us iPads know, for know. this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we could take home I and mean, it's sort of, no, in all seriousness. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully, periodicals will become more um, in fashion again. I, I I do hope so. I don't know if if it just helps these these um, periodicals stay afloat, then maybe critics can get back in. But it, it's interesting to see critics going into like other curatorial 
uh, roles at, um, you know, look at the at Scott found us at the um, Lincoln Center and so on. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it is, but I think it's a bright day for storytelling, and I think there's really some great voices out there. So. Downstairs is hot. You know, look, I mean, there's all these people down there buying, and it, I hope so, I think, you know, it's for us to inspire them to go out and tell their stories, whether it's five minutes or three hours, because there's so much activity when you walk in the, the store downstairs, and, you know, your computer, you can do it all on there. You really, really can. You could do your Eisenstein steps. <laughs> um, I was really going to say exactly what Lars said. I mean, I... I I am very, I was just uh, on the jury at Sundance and, and I saw a lot of some international films. I, I just, I feel there's brilliant work being made and I think it's incredibly sad that there is no support system for that in the world and the critics at large. I think that part of my excitement is that the technology is there. Like we have the technology to make movies and we can make movies for very little, and everyone here can make a movie. There's, it's, you know, it, it's, the cameras now to make a 35 millimeter adaptable film are less than the laptop you use to edit them on, okay? That is a big change, and I mean a beautiful camera for $500 now that Godard would only dream of 30 years ago. So, and that work is coming out there. I think that what's really irritating me, because I can't say what Lars just said, is that, is it, I think distribution is completely, it is just dropped independent film. It is just focusing on money making. It's not, the great minds of distribution are not focused on trying to get movies that matter out there. I mean, of course there are exceptions, but generally that, you know, these companies are folding, not because I don't believe there's an audience out there, but because when a, multi, when a multinational conglomerate is forcing you to make a lot of money very quickly, you're not going to focus on little movies. You're going to focus on movies that make a lot of money quickly, or you're out of your job. And that's what's happened. And that's killed off independent film for the public. What's really exciting, again, is the technology. And I think it's part of what's downstairs, is that I think we, there is a day very soon where those distributors, to us, will be dead. And that's a good thing. They will die to us. And we will be reborn as filmmakers that are making films that can get to people. And that's exciting to me. I mean, I, um, I also just want to second that. I mean, to be honest, there's very little that's discouraging to me. I mean, I guess, you know, a lot of the things that have been said are true, but I've just always seen it as part of the industry of it's, you know, maybe it's being highlighted more now. But what's exciting is that, you know, with the advent of technology, with, uh, you know, DIY self-distribution being cool now, it, all these things to me mean that we can take um, all the forms of filmmaking, production, and distribution, you know, back for ourselves. Like it really means that if filmmaking and independent films are becoming more independent and more free, that's what's exciting. You know, I last year I spent, um, you know, I produced films in Haiti and China and Beirut, and I come back here and I'm like, oh my God, you know, we have lights, we have electricity, we have infrastructure, we have freedom of speech. We, I mean, it's incredible. We have all these things and we have panels talking about how we don't have like all the things we don't have. We don't have distribution. We don't have financing. We don't have good stories. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I mean, I go to these countries and I look at the freedom that they have found and the independence that they have found working with very little, working without a market. And I come back here and I think, oh my God, you know, we take the market out of the equation, which is essentially what's happening with distribution what becomes of the, our motives for independent filmmaking. 
you know, do they be, do they go to more pure place? Do they go to more free, independent place? And if, if that's where they're going, then that's what's exciting to me. That's a great, great moment to um, a great statement upon which we can switch to the audience. I think um, we're going to uh, after that great statement you just made, Karen. We're going to take the microphone from you because <laughs> we're going to ask you to share with Manette, if you don't mind, because we're uh, we have such a large group on the stage today that we're actually out of microphones. So. Um, we have a microphone in the audience now. Uh, if you have a question, raise your hand. We'll get to as many as we can. Uh, so we'll go here to the second row, and then we'll go to the front row. Um, so yeah, right? Or is this the third row? Oh, right here. I'm sorry. I didn't see your hand. Yes, you. Then we'll go forward. So uh, if you don't mind standing up, tell us your name. Hi. My name is Sheena Medina. And um, I just had a question for the panelists. Um, I find this to be very interesting, what you guys are talking about, social media. Um, if you guys don't make an effort to reach the audience where they are now, what's to say that the film industry isn't going to end up where the music industry is now? I'm just curious. I just want to know. Anybody want to take a stab at that? You know, the one thing I will say is that I think the film industry is reacting to what's happened to the music industry. And we, you know, the, um, I was at DIY Days the other day, and someone said, you know, the music industry is much further in its decline than the film industry. So we have those lessons to learn. Um, so I think that we are trying, you know, the great thing and what, also what's exciting is that we are trying so many new things and people are taking risks. You know, people are foregoing Sundance to go, you know, maybe self-distribution. People are selling their DVDs at their festival premiere. So we're just trying things to see what works. And I, I think that's all we can do is, you know, try to see what works and what's true to yourself and to your project. You know, it's, it's interesting because I, I come from the music industry. That was my first career. I was at Def Jam and the early days of the company. And a lot of how I think about marketing, I learned from that experience. First of all is, is like, do you have real artists? Do you have real stories? Are you going to fight to get them the exposure you feel that they deserve? Um, community. How can you kind of seed, pick your friends in strategic places and give them the tools because there's always these great cheerleaders out there that want to help you. So uh, for me as a producer, it's, it's, it's something that I oftentimes look to that world and how we kind of broke down a lot of barriers and expanded kind of the, our product both here and internationally and that's something that's important to me is that I don't just look to a domestic marketplace for exposure so let's can we go here and then or either one well you stand you go sorry we'll go here and then we'll go sorry about that we'll go second um, I'm Basil Siokos, um, and I actually have a question from Ted Hope, who um, was following my tweets about this. Um, so he, and from he Ted, was, from Ted Hope, yeah. Um, so Ted is actually specifically to Jason. Um, Ted, I, Ted, you have to come here to ask us a question. But Ted, <laughs> Ted was invited, by the way, to this panel. So the, the question uh, was in relation to you said something about Hollywood, bigger Hollywood films uh, tend to use social media or are better able to to sort of get um, crowds or whatever uh, to come to films through social media. His question is specifically, um, where is the film designed for the new world from the start in, in terms of, of addressing that, you know, the, the, the idea of social media from the beginning of a process? I think it exists. I think it's a commercial film and it's a documentary film and I don't think it's an auteur film, Ted. I think that's the problem. I think that if you have something that people want that they can buy, or if you have something that they know they're going to like, then there is a social media aspect, and they are built from the ground. That's what Hollywood's been about. They've been doing it 
since their inception. That's what Hollywood does. And that's what these niche documentaries that are able to get out there do. But that's not happening, and it can happen, because if it, it's, a, it's a contradiction in terms. If a great author is thinking about his, his, his reception, the moment he's writing, then or he or she, sorry... <laughs> Um, it, he's he's going to fail. I, I don't think I don't think great art comes from building something. I don't think great art comes from thinking about your audience before you start thinking about your your work. I think you can have a relation. Sorry. Yeah, you can cut. I think you can have a relation once you've built a relationship to an audience then I think there's a very healthy back and forth. Shakespeare had it. A lot of people had it. But I think that there needs to be a purity in the artwork's inception, and I don't think that that, that, that matches the concept of building something as uh, that, having social media from the ground up. Could you, I mean, could you... I don't think that it's, it's repeatable. I don't think that you could... Every film that comes out every week can draw in an audience from social media. I just don't, I mean, even if it's commercial or independent, every single week, if you were getting bombarded with social, it would just turn generic and you wouldn't pay attention to any of it. I think it, it, it's very, it's for the specific, it's for a, certain films. It's for certain films and it's gonna work for them and there's gonna be different ways for films to get out. At the, and and um, we're obviously in a shift of, an economic shift within the industry because there aren't as much resources going into distribution. That, seem, that could be a solution for certain films, but I don't think it's a solution for every film. I mean, look, can I just, I did get, the question was for me so I can hog a tiny sec. You know, look, when I saw Precious, I had the same feeling I had when I saw The Crying Game many years ago. I thought, great movie. It's a shame that nobody is going to see that movie. I was sure of it. In Crying Games, you know, case, Harvey Weinstein had this brilliant idea of going, do you know the secret? Do you know the secret? Most of you are too young to know this, but, you know. <laughs> anyway, um, or you already know the secret. Uh, but, um, but with Precious, it was this genius of having this outreach through, through these titans of media. And, and, and you know, that had nothing to do with the art. You know, I don't mean to, to belittle it in any way, but the success of the film had nothing to do with its artistic merit. Precious was not that much better. It wasn't 40 or 50 or whatever it was, million dollars better than the movie that was second up in the jury's thinking at Sundance that year that probably made $20,000. It's, you know, it, it's a great, it, of course you need a great movie, but all of a sudden there's this social element that came in that was just so powerful that took, it, took us all by surprise. But I don't think there's any way to repeat that. And Lee didn't write the movie thinking that, I don't think. I mean, we made the movie because we read this book in 1996 and it haunted us for 13 years. And we said, as people of color, we want to tell this story because we think these characters are amazing and it's going to provoke dialogue that is really important. Um, and not only for people of color, but for all people. It's amazing, you know, traveling around the world and, you know, 60-year-old white guys talking about how they have felt like pressure and how they've kind of gone through similar experiences. Um, you know, I think the, 
the thing is that we still need to look at, and as an independent, I like to say, ah, art house or whatever. But it was also, you know, in the beginning, it was people of color who went out and exercised their dollars to have the phenomenal weeks that we had in the beginning. You know, once again, like you said, people go, oh, Asian Americans, and we don't know how to market, blah, 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 blah. But what I love about this film is it shows that there, we don't have to just make films for young white males, and that we can take the chance to make films for all of us, uh, because we are, we're hungry. And, and if we are diligent and persistent and we get Random House involved when we're shooting the film and we get their sales reps in to see screenings and we go on the road for nine months and we talk to everybody and their mama, like there, it, there can be more. I'm, I, I don't think it's an anomaly at all. No, and I think it's a lot about how people get invested in something. And I think that the auteur-driven films, by and large, it, no one's really figured out how to invest people. I don't really, I don't have an answer, but I think like what works for a lot of documentaries is you really do participate. You see this documentary, you hear about it, and then you're able to get more information and go deeper and it leads you to other things. You've kind of just been open. It's like when you meet someone in college and they have this different interest and then they start telling you and now you're like, you like them and you like the first thing they told you, so you keep following it. And it's a little bit harder for our tour driven films because you might, I remember when I was first in New York and a friend of mine called me up and he had just seen the unbelievable truth and he was just stunned by it and loved it and so I went and saw it and that sort of, you know, I can imagine that now someone sees Henry Fool and they tell their friend and then they go online and they decide they can see all of Hal's movies but the thing about films is it takes a while so you might fall in love with something but then what else do you have to tell someone other than, I just saw this film, I love it, you go see it. And I think that's what I see a lot in like social media is this kind of, you know, and then we all converge on each other because it's like everyone's lists are the same and we're all part of the same friend network. So it's like you, someone sends you something, you put it out, oh, I love that movie too. I put it out, on, you know, I re-Facebook it or whatever the terminology is. And then it's, it, I watch it like go through. It's like, and everyone's redoing it. You know, we're all, we're kind of all talking to each other and there has to be a way to reach out so that someone that's on my list that's not already part of the circle sees it and says, oh, that's why I want to see it, not just because Mary Jane liked it, because she, you know, I don't like half the films she makes, why would I like the film that she just likes, you know? So that, um, you know, how do we get out beyond that and make people participate so they're saying more than just, oh, I liked this film, you know, and why, are, why should you be invested and go see it or go seek it out? Thank you. Uh, we'll go here and then we'll work our way down. Yeah, and then we'll get over here. Uh, my name is John Cooey and I have actually two quick questions. One for Karen. Oh, sorry. Um, my question is, how do you build business relationships through self-distribution to get the audience in to the theater to see your project? How do you build business relationships? Yeah, like how do you build business relationships with group organizations or different entities or individuals to get audiences in to see your film when you're self-distributing? I'm assuming you do four-walling and other things like that. Um, that's a good question. I mean, this is my pitch for how important in-person communication still is, even given all the social media. You know, any relationships that I've built in this business have been face-to-face. -face. You know, it's been whether I talk to, you know, it's a good question because this is what I do in my distribution company for the Chinese films. These are 
films made in like the Frederick Wiseman documentary style, basically nothing happens. You know, they're very observational. They're in foreign language. They have no critical support. They haven't played in any festivals in the U.S. How do I distribute these films? So I go and I, you know, in person, like search out the programmers and the curators and the exhibitors, you know, and I'll talk to Dennis Lim, who's a brilliant critic, you know, who's now programming for the New York Film Festival, and I'll say, you have to watch this three-hour documentary about a village in China, you know, and he'll watch it. He put it in the New York Film Festival. Uh, it got amazing press, and now it's on a theatrical run around the country. I mean, who knew? This was a film that every festival had turned down before it went to Dennis. So those personal relationships are key, and whether it's, you know, um, you know, I make friends with, you know, the bookers and the programmer, and, it, and it's really about not, like, throwing all your work at them, but finding out what their taste is and what they like and what's important to them. Why should they help you? Why should they program your film? Why should, you know, so your, your film has to have something to offer in that sense as well, whether it's an organization or a screening society or a theater. Um, I will say in self-distribution, I've never four-walled. You know, that's a, four-walling is when you buy space at a theater, like you pay the theater enough to cover their expenses. So you take the risk on of, of that cost. So what I, what I prefer to do is take less risk, which is to hire a booker who can program the film at theaters. You know, so you, you share a percentage of the box office as opposed to four-walling. Thank you. And my last question real quick is for um, Manette. You said something earlier about, monet can you hear me? Yeah. Monetizing eyeballs using the internet. And I wanted to know what was your best experience in trying to do that? Yeah, actually, I'm glad you asked that question because it sort of relates to something that Lisa said earlier about your sort of niche audiences. So again, Children of Dimension, Asian American film, first and foremost. Um, and um, during Christmas, we you know emailed a bunch of website, blogs and websites, and we're like, hey, can you you know please list us as one of your top ten Christmas gifts or something? So actually, the Huffington Post listed us, and then Angry Asian Man, this like specialty Asian American blog, listed us on this in the same week. And Huffington Post is a lot bigger, has a bigger reach. However, it did not generate like hardly any DVD sales, whereas Angry Asian Man like generated like a ton of DVD sales. So that's just you know making sure to to target your efforts, you know, focus on like um, the people like hubs, people who have lots of friends on Facebook, lots of Twitter followers, um, people who have uh, who really. Um, have like, collect your 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 sort of target audience, um, like blogs like that. We don't have a lot of time left, so I'm going to ask that um, the questions are short, and we'll get only one person on the panel to answer it, so we can get to a couple before we wrap up. So we'll start here, and then we'll go back. Hi, I'm Melissa Silverstein from Women in Hollywood, and my question is. The word social media is it's such a weird word because everything is fitting into that now. And so what I'd like anyone to talk about is how do you separate the social media from the real things that you can do to reach people, kind of like what you were saying, Manette, because I find that in general, the concept of social media is not necessarily as um, executable as real outreach that people do, like for a political campaign, which I think like Precious did. So it's like figuring out how to use online and offline to make social media effective, but not just saying, oh, we need to do a social media campaign. Did that make any sense? Yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah, the social media is a lubricant to actual 
socializing with people. You know, what Karen said about the face-to-face thing is really true. It is a face-to-face business that we're in, and that goes, you know, with producer to critic, producer to programmer, uh, director to audience is the most important, I think. You know, and with Children of Invention, we played 45 film festivals last year. And you know, I went to 20, the director went to 30, and you know, we sold DVDs afterwards. And you know, really, I think we generated a lot of fans just from, from the Q&As afterwards and building like, a personal relationship directly to the audience. And you know, that's, you know, that's a big reason why we didn't go with the distributor, because it's like, well, we're going to do all this work anyway. You know, we're developing the relationship directly with the audience. And, and so the social media part of our campaign only lubricated the actual face-to-face stuff. And when we did a theatrical in New York and, and Boston and L.A., um, I think the, the, the most successful thing for us was actually going to visit classes, like visit Asian-American classes and film classes, just physically visiting these classes and, and not just saying, hey, come to my screening on Facebook or whatever. So it is a very nuts and bolts business still. We have time for one more. Hi, my question is for Jason. Jason, um, I'm a big fan of the movie Staten Island, and I thought it deserved a better fate. I thought it would have been a huge hit in the 70s when there was, because it seemed to have that sort of emotional life to it. Um, it had big stars, and it, had, it was a good movie. And I thought DeMonico hit it out the park and everything. Um, but what can we learn from the marketing of that movie and, and your experience on that? Well, I, I don't want to take too much authorship for Staten Island because I, I really was, I had French friends, uh, Pascal Cochte and Sebastien Lemercier who were in France who were producing it and I was really just helping them out. Joanna Vicente and I were helping them out. Uh, so I can't, I didn't, you know, it, it was more generosity thing and I didn't really, um, I, I'm, I wasn't in the middle of all that. I do know that, you know, they, they, were, I, they were clearly passed on by a lot of higher level distributors and they had to, I, I don't remember who distributed it now all of a sudden, I'm like blanking out. Um, who was it? Do you remember who it was? I'm like, um, wow. Well, not a very large distributor, but that doesn't mean they're not a good distributor, but it just means they don't have the resources behind it. And if you have those actors and you don't have the resources, you're just dead in the water. Like, you're dead. You know, that it, it's like, it, it's a car without fuel. It's a, it's a huge truck without fuel. But there's just nothing that's going to happen. Unfortunately, we're almost out of time. Uh, I'm going to ask our panelists to give us a one uh, one sentence answer, not even less than a sentence, uh, as as a uh, as a as a bit of guidance to our audience here. Um, one movie that you've seen recently that you can uh, recommend to the folks in the audience that they might want to check out it might be something you saw that's new, that's old, in the festival, out of the festival, something you've seen recently that really got you excited about about movies and that you just want to recommend. If they're not your Facebook friend, this is your chance to, to advocate to a, to a captive audience. So just the title, uh, if you don't mind. Who wants to start? I'm all, I know exactly. Uh, at Sundance, I saw an incredible movie. We gave him the uh, uh, Director's Award, Three Backyards by Eric Mendelson. I think it's brilliant. Three Backyards by Eric Mendelson. Blue Valentine by Derek Sion France. Blue Valentine. Derek C. in France will be in, the film will be in Cannes. It'll be out in theaters later this year. Hunger by Steve McQueen. Brilliant visual film. Hunger, Steve McQueen. Canal Street Madam. Canal Street Madam by Cameron Yates. Documentary uh, co-produced by Basil Siokos, who's asked a question earlier. Um, Mary Jane, Jay? 
I've, I've been more or less in pre-production since the middle of December. I haven't really seen anything. Like, I, literally, it was like when you, that question, I was like, oh my God, I don't know, this is the last thing I even saw other than like my own dailies. Jay, you're gonna say you can say the same thing. No, well, yeah, that's where my mind's going. But um, uh, yeah, I, I saw this is England recently. I really like Dogtooth. I saw recently. I've loved it. And Shutter Island. I mean, I'll, you know, well, seen a lot of good movies. Okay, so this this conversation we're just finishing now is actually the first chapter of about a 15 chapter book that's going to be written over the next 10 days or so. What we've started here is just the beginning of that conversation. Um, the con conversation continues today at 6.30. We're going to meet the filmmakers uh, from Beware the Gonzo. This conversation was meant to start the discussion. It certainly is not possible to have a comprehensive discussion about uh, the whole uh, of cinema in an hour. But we have 16 hours of that coming up over the next uh, 10 days. So come back here at the Apple Store. I want to thank our, our panelists today for joining us, and we'll see you back here soon. Thanks y'all for coming out. Thank you guys. As one more round of applause and thank you to our panelists and Eugene for a wonderful job today. We're very happy to have had him here. Guys, don't forget apple.com forward slash retail forward slash Tribeca for all the upcoming events we have. And now on your mobile device as well, in the App Store free, there is a Tribeca app, which will actually help you pick out the events you plan to attend and make a little calendar right on your device for you. It is really, really cool, the Tribeca app. So keep an eye on it. Thank you very much. Hang around. Just a little bit, we have Beware the Gonzo.